There is hope for the last frontier. There's hope for America. There's hope for Nebraska, hope for Deschler, hope for you and me personally. Uh, because of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus who loved us, came for us, lived a perfect life that we could never live, and then died for us and rose again for us and promised that He's preparing a home in heaven for us and promising to come again and take us to that home. Uh, that's our hope, right? The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we uh, rejoice in that today. And hope for not only the last frontier, but really what I'm going to talk about today is hope for a broken world. Hope for the brokenhearted. Hope for a broken people. We're sharing from Psalm 34, verse 18, and some other verses, related verses as well. But Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's pray. Father, it's a joy to be here today in Deschler, Nebraska. Thank you for these brothers and sisters and uh, for this church and the ministry of this church and this community. It's a joy to be here with uh, John and Hannah Langness too. I thank you for them and their faithful ministry here. Bless them and their family. Use them in a wonderful way in this congregation and in this community. Thank you for the congregation and the witness of each one day by day. Pray your blessing upon the ministry of this church. Thank you for their involvement in the work in Alaska in so many ways. We thank you for that and pray you just continue to join us together, partner us together to do ministry uh, for the glory of God and for the good of souls. We thank you today that there is hope for the last frontier and there's hope for us. We thank you that there is hope for the brokenhearted. The service began. We knew there's some difficult situations that were prayed for and that were shared. And I thank you that where there's brokenness and where there's hurt, there is hope uh, because of you, our Lord, and because of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would make that clear to us through the word of God today, uh, that we have hope, and it's all your doing. It's all you, Lord. And so we praise you and pray that you'd speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't plan on sharing this story to begin with, but I'm going to because it's been on my mind here as we've been spending a few days down at the house in rural Axtell where we uh, both grew up in that. Um, just a quick story uh, is kind of a beginning to the sermon. Uh, one time my mom and dad, I don't know how old I was, probably 10 or 11 years old, my mom and dad had to be gone for the afternoon and my dad gave me a job to do on our little farm there. And uh, there was an old pump house. It was about six feet square and about six feet tall. It housed the pump house for our well. And my dad told me to paint that while he was gone. He said I could get that done in the afternoon. So I went to the garage to look for paint, and, you know, I found some white paint, and I assumed that's what he wanted it, but I also found some red paint, and I found some blue paint, and, a, and an idea kind of formed in my head, and I thought, I can have a little fun here. So I opened the red paint, and, and it was one of those tongue-and-groove little buildings. The boards up and down were tongue-and-groove, so it was really easy. I could just paint right along the lines of the tongue-and-groove, and I painted one board red, and then I painted one blue, and I painted one white. Oh, I take it back. It was red and white. Red and white, every other one, and then it had a, a lip around the top, and I painted that blue. And I got it done in pretty short order, and I was pretty impressed. I stepped back and looked at it, and uh, here's this red and white and patriotic blue rim around the top, and I thought it was really, really beautiful. It wasn't too long after I got done, my mom and dad pulled in the driveway, and I could see that as they pulled in the driveway, they could see that little pump house, and uh, I started thinking, you know, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all, I don't know. <laughs> But my dad got out of the car, and I remember the first thing he said was, what in the world did you do? What in the world have you done? 
And uh, I, often, I often remember that as when I pulled in the driveway and saw where that pump house used to be, and I, I just, that memory came to my mind. And I, I've shared this story before, and I, I've said, you know, my dad, that wasn't the first or the last time that he said, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> that happened quite a bit when I was growing up. But I thought, you know, in later years when I came to assurance of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and began to read the Bible, I was confronted with this truth, that my heavenly Father also asks, what in the world are you doing? You know, my earthly dad would say, what in the world are you doing? But our God in heaven says to us, our heavenly Father says to each of us, what in my world, what in my world are you doing? God so loved the world, Naknek, Alaska, Deschler, Nebraska, and every place in between and all around. God so loved the world, God so loved you and me, the whole world, that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I was thinking about the verses from 1 John that say Christ is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. Our God is a, a God who loves the world and cares about the world, and he calls us to be his witnesses in the world, doesn't he? Our little world where we live, but also the whole world. And we can, by our prayers and by our giving, we can be involved in the whole world. This little congregation has been involved in a, in a ministry that's 3,000 miles away in Alaska in various ways, as I, I talked about, through quilts and airplanes and, and time and effort of people coming and working and being involved. And perhaps for many of you in prayers, we can be a part of God's worldwide work. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? We can be a part of that. What in the world are we doing? Uh, I, I quoted earlier Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that uh, Jesus said before he ascended, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And when we live in Naknek, we feel like we're at the remotest part of the earth. But we are called to be God's witnesses to the whole world. And we can be through our prayers and through our giving. Uh, and, and that's a great uh, calling, a great challenge, but a great privilege as well. So consider today, what in the world? God asking us, our Heavenly Father, what in the world are you doing? And we can be a part of what God wants to do as we share His Word and pray for people and for ministries. Well, I'm thankful that God's heart for the world is for all, all the world and for all people, and especially for the brokenhearted. When we moved to Naknek, one of the things that became very apparent to us early on that was that we were living in a very broken place, a very broken place. In, in rural Alaska, the uh, social needs uh, are, are exponentially, they're kind of what the whole world has, but they're exponentially greater. Just statistically, the rate of alcoholism, drug addiction, suicide, child abuse, molestation, those numbers are off the charts. Broken families, broken marriages, broken people, broken lives. That's what we saw in, in Naknek and in many other communities where we've gone and where we, we've had the chance to minister as well. It shouldn't surprise us because we live in a broken world, don't we? We live in a broken world filled with broken promises and broken dreams and broken marriages and broken families and broken lives. It's a very broken world. But I'm so glad that we can proclaim in Alaska and we can proclaim in Deschler and we can proclaim it 
from the rooftop everywhere in the world that what we just read here from Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. We live in a broken world filled with broken people, but there is hope for the broken. Psalm 34, 18, the verse that we have as our text this morning says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't it good news that God is always near? God is always near to us. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to everybody. God is near. He's always here. Some people run from God all of their lives and live in sin and rebel against God and God's word and God's ways. But isn't it wonderful, no matter how far you run from God, when you repent and turn, He's right there. You don't have to run all the way back. He's right there because He's the hound of heaven and He follows us throughout our life. He's seeking us all of our lives. And when we come to that place of brokenness where we realize we, we can't make it on our own, we can't handle life on our own, and we certainly can't get right with God on our own, we need a Savior, we need forgiveness, Christ is right there for us. He's always near. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Sometimes we feel very far from God, but we really aren't. God is near to us. He said He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. I'll never desert you. I'll never forsake you. God is a God who is always near. And this verse in Psalm 34, 18 promise, promises the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I hope that's a blessing to you today. Some of the things that were shared at the beginning of the service, there's some broken hearts. Some of you were at a funeral for our home mission, former home mission director, Paul Nash. A lot of broken hearts over that situation in many situations in the world. But the promise of God's word to us today is the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. A few years ago when we uh, had been in Anaknik just a little while, I, I met a, a lady. I had heard of her. There were always signs on the streets in Naknek. We have three bars. Some people call it the Barmuda Triangle in our little town. Why is it? You have a little teeny town and hardly have a grocery store, but we got three very successful bars. That's the way it often is, isn't it? Uh, the Barmuda Triangle there. Well, I had known of this lady. Her name was Wendy. I knew of her because she uh, was a singer. She was a great singer, played the guitar and could sing the oldies really, really well. And uh, she was a popular at the bars. You'd see a sign that would say, uh, Live Music by Wendy and her husband, you know. And, and uh, that's all I knew of her was she was the, kind of the bar singer in town. One day, uh, I had been invited to give a prayer at the uh, rural electric cooperative in our community there. And she was going to sing the national anthem, first time I'd ever met her in person. And we were standing on the backstage there of a little auditorium in our school, and and uh, I walked out and, and gave the prayer. And I gave, like sometimes you do in a situation like that, I uh, gave kind of an evangelistic prayer. It was kind of a long prayer, and I included the gospel in the prayer. And, and uh, as I walked off the stage after the opening prayer for that uh, electric meeting, uh, Wendy was standing there, and she had tears in her eyes. And she reached out, and she, she grabbed my hand and just gave my hand a little squeeze. God was working in her heart. She had grown up in northern Minnesota. And she had known, known the Lord. She had walked with the Lord. And when she was in high school, she had a boyfriend. And the boyfriend gave her an ultimatum. It's either me or, or your life. She had talked about being a missionary. And he, he gave her an ultimatum. It's, it's either the Lord or me. And, and she made a wrong choice. And it led to 40 years of heartache. And it led her to Naknek, Alaska. And, and you know, over time, God got a hold of her heart. 
She repented of all of her life and all of her sins and all of her ways and came to trust in Jesus Christ, and she became the worship leader in our church. She moved away now from NACNIC, and she's down in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, and she leads, uh, I don't know why she moved to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, but she sings in nursing homes and at veterans' homes. There's a lot of veterans' homes in, in New Mexico, Truth or Consequences, and she leads worship and sings songs in those places. Amazing how God got a hold of her heart. But I always remember something she said, that, that when she walked away from the Lord and she made a wrong decision, she said, I got so far from God. I, I got so far from God. I felt so far from God. I was so far from home. And she said, I felt so far away. And, and this verse blessed her. God is near to the brokenhearted. She felt far away from home and far away what she had known when she grew up. She felt far from God. But she found out that the Lord was near to her. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And that's, that's the promise of God's word today from Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Maybe you're brokenhearted here today. You've experienced some brokenness in your life. Sin will do that. Life will do that, won't it? It'll break us down and bring a lot of heartache to our lives. And we can be brokenhearted because maybe our life is, is messed up. Maybe we, we've experienced broken relationships or a broken home or just brokenness or broken health. We, there's a lot of brokenness in this world. But God says to us today, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. We're so glad to be able to proclaim that in the villages of, of rural Alaska. The Lord is here and the Lord is near. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You think things are without hope and every, all messed up? Let me tell you, there's hope for the last frontier. There's hope for you, we tell people in Alaska. And I tell you today, there is hope because the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. God knows us in our hurt and in our pain, in our sin. And He's near to us and ready to receive us, ready to forgive us, ready to welcome us back home. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. But I'm thankful not only is God near to the brokenhearted, you turn over to Psalm 51, verse 17, the Lord also welcomes the brokenhearted. We know this psalm, Psalm 51, is a psalm of David, isn't it? David, you remember the story how he committed adultery with Bathsheba? And to try to cover up his sin, he had her husband put on the front lines, and basically he was an accomplice to murder so that Uriah, Bathsheba, the woman he committed adultery with, uh, her husband was put on the front lines and she di he died. Uh, David was not only an adulterer but really an accomplice to murder. Finally, he was confronted with his sin and he turned to God. And Psalm 51 is the beautiful confession of David's uh, sin. It begins this way, Psalm 51, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness." According to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And it goes on. If you need to confess your sin, you've got a guilty conscience, you're filled with shame, read Psalm 51. Pray Psalm 51 from a sincere heart. It's a cry to God. Oh, be gracious to me, O oh God, according to your loving kindness. It's a wonderful prayer, a prayer of confession. And in the middle of that prayer, near the end of that prayer, Psalm 51, David says this in Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And that means that when we come to God in our brokenness and in our contrition, 
over our sin, our sorrow for our sin. When we come with specific sins, like David, David had very specific sin. He committed adultery. He'd had her husband killed. Very specific sin. When he was sorry for that sin, when he was contrite, and when he was broken over that sin, did God despise him? Did God say, get out of my face. I don't want anything to do with you. You're a miserable sinner. No, God won't despise the contrite. God won't despise those who are broken over their sin. He welcomes us. He invites us to come, doesn't He? Come unto me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Jesus invites sinners. We could even say Jesus was very inviting. I am intrigued and I'm, I'm so happy about when I read the Gospels how sinners were attracted to Jesus. They came to Jesus, the, 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 the proud and the arrogant and the self-righteous. They were, they were having a problem with Jesus. But sinners were attracted to Jesus. We need to learn from that. They, they, they knew that Jesus would welcome them and forgive them. Jesus did not despise David when he came contrite over his sin and broken over what he had done with Bathsheba. He didn't despise him. He welcomed him. He says, the broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. God welcomes the repentant sinner. Not only is he near to the brokenhearted, he welcomes the brokenhearted. I'm very thankful for that because I know that in and of myself, there's so much brokenness in my life. But Christ welcomes the brokenhearted. That is such a, such a good message to us and such a blessing to us. Every once in a while, you'll meet people and run into people who feel like they've sinned so much and been so far from God for so long, and, and they'll say it. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Or maybe you've even felt it yourself. God could never love somebody like me. God could never receive somebody like me. Right now on our little table in our house there in Kansas, we've got a book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace? And, and that book is just replete with the story of God's amazing grace. Uh, the opening story in the book is about a woman who was a, a prostitute, a drug addict. She sold her two-year-old child for, for immorality to get money to pay for her drug habit. Talk about broken. Talk about messed up. And yet Philip Yancey tells the story of, of how God could welcome such a one like that. I meet people once in a while who say, I've done too much. It's been too long. I've been too bad. God surely doesn't love somebody like me. God can't receive somebody like me. David could have easily thought that. But the scripture says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You know, in the pictures we were showing in the Sunday school hour there, that, that Bible study in South Naknek, a couple of those guys in that story said those exact words to me and said, it's been, been too long, I'm too far away, and I've committed too much sin. It's not possible. It's a joy to be able to, forget, to tell them, uh, no, that's wrong. Uh, God will receive anyone who repents and turns and seeks forgiveness and seeks grace and mercy. God welcomes the brokenhearted. In fact, I would even say God requires brokenness, doesn't he? We can't come to God full of pride and full of arrogance and thinking we've got it all taken care of. We need to be broken over our sin. We need to be contrite and broken and realize and admit before God, 
uh, as we did in the opening hymn in this service. Oh, blessed Jesus, I need you, for I'm full of sin. God welcomes and requires even brokenness and sorrow over sin. So I'm thankful that the hope for the last frontier is this. God is near to the brokenhearted, and God welcomes the brokenhearted. And then lastly here, God can mend the brokenhearted. Look over at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. This is a, was a, a, and is a, a very loved passage by Jewish people because it's a, a passage that gives the promise of the Messiah. Uh, this was written 600 years before Christ. And here was the word that God gave to Isaiah, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jewish people would hear that passage read and they would think, oh, for that one. Oh, for the one that that verse is talking about. Oh, for God to fulfill His promise of sending a Messiah. Oh, for that one who would... Who would, of, of which it would be said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I wonder how many generations of Jewish people heard that passage read and thought, oh, for that day when that's fulfilled. Oh, for that person that's being described, that Messiah. And you fast forward to Luke chapter 4, and you remember this. Luke chapter 4, Jesus was in the, the temple and, and and he was reading scripture and he read this very passage. <clears throat> he read this very passage from Isaiah 61. And then he sat down and he said, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. I, I wish I could have been there that day. I, I picture jaws dropping as people who loved that promise of the coming Messiah, the one upon whom the spirit of the Lord would be upon, the one who would proclaim uh, good news the one who would bring good news to the afflicted and bind up the brokenhearted. And Jesus says, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of this scripture. He said, today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. And I just think people are, wow, could it be? This is the one? And we know that he was the one and he is the one, Jesus. And what was Jesus all about? The spirit of the Lord God is upon him. The Lord had anointed him to bring good news to the afflicted, and to, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me, Jesus, quoting that Old Testament passage, saying, I'm the fulfillment of these verses. God the Father has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted or to mend the brokenhearted. A great cross-reference to that verse is Psalm 147, verse 3. Psalm 147, Verse 3 says much the same thing. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He mends the brokenhearted. Jesus came to give us forgiveness of sins and to restore unto us the joy of salvation, to give us the Holy Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Anybody want that? what our world needs, isn't it? Isn't it what you and I need? Oh, to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, to be forgiven of all of our sins, to have a cleansed conscience, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I would that people would look at me and say, you know, when I see him, that's what I think of. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Wouldn't that be great? People think of, of this church. Oh, when I think of that church, I think of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. That's because Jesus comes and saves souls and changes lives and fills people with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's hope for people. There's hope because God is near to the brokenhearted and God welcomes the brokenhearted and God heals the brokenhearted and mends the brokenhearted. That's the hope that we proclaim in Alaska. That's the hope here in Deschler, Nebraska. That's the hope for every living soul, isn't it? Christ died for everyone, and there is hope for everyone. God is near. God welcomes, and God can mend and heal and save and forgive and, and change lives. And so that's the message we proclaim in Alaska. It's the message we proclaim today. It's the message we rejoice in. Amen? That there is hope for the last frontier, and there's hope for you and me, and that hope is in Jesus Christ.